Welcome to the WNCT Podcast Network. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Hi, I'm Emily Severidge. And I'm Victoria Holmes. And welcome to another segment of What the Politics. Victoria, what is our quote for today? So today's quote is, one of the penalties for refusing to participate in politics is that you end up being governed by your inferiors. And that's by Plato. And so I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest as well. We have Dr. Francia. Dr. Francia, can you tell us what you do, who you are, your social security number, all that good stuff. <laughs> Maybe I'll leave that the social security part, but uh, um, I'm the director of the ECU Center for Survey Research, and I'm a professor of political science at ECU as well. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us for this conversation today. We appreciate it. Sure. Thank you for having me. All right. So going back to the quote Victoria just talked about, Victoria, if you could read that for us one more time and let's go ahead and start talking about it. Yes. So the quote is one of the penalties for refusing to participate in politics is that you end up being governed by your inferiors. So, Dr. Francia, do you have anything to say about that? Well, I think I I don't want to start out by by uh, trying to be uh, funny here, but (laughs) I think you're probably governed by your inferiors either way. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) And it's very interesting that that's even, you know, a quote from Plato to, you know, have that kind of recognition and awareness even even then. And um, it's very interesting to see how things come come for full circle. And, you know, the political arena doesn't change too much in that sense. So very interesting. No, and I mean, to be more serious and to give you maybe a more serious, again, a more serious answer to that. I think the, the obviously the larger point is that, you know, when when the citizenry is not engaged and not informed about the issues that affect them in the political arena, then there are there are consequences for governing. Um, and so that I think is sort of the the larger message uh, behind that quotation and something that um, I think is something that everybody should take seriously. What do you think? Do you think debates are important? First off, as a question, do you think debates are important when it comes to politics and how come? I, I think it depends on what we mean by important, because debates can matter in some contexts and they don't matter in others. It's very common to hear people, pundits, uh, political observers talk about how presidential debates are going to be game changers. And the suggestion is that if one candidate, you know, significantly outperforms the other, or if there's a terrible mistake made by a candidate, that that it can change the whole environment, the whole campaign, the whole outcome of the election. And so that's trumpeted it up every four years that we have a, a presidential debate. We always hear, oh, this could be the moment. And the research really shows that that almost never happens. And it's a, it, you'll, you'll commonly hear people reference particular moments and say, oh, no, that's not true. John Kennedy in 1960 you know, won the debate with Richard Nixon on television because Kennedy was suntanned and Richard Nixon would wear makeup. And, you know, Kennedy barely won the election. And people will say, well, see, Kennedy won the, de- the TV debate. Actually, Nixon apparently won 
um, people will say Nixon won if they listen to it on radio. But there's this narrative, popular narrative that's out there, and you hear it all the time. Kennedy won the election because he won the TV portion of that debate. The people who watched it on television said Kennedy won, and that was the difference. The problem with that is that if you look at the polling numbers in 1960, Kennedy and Nixon before the debate were almost tied. Polling was done right after the debate. Kennedy went up by four. So you say, oh, the debate mattered. There you go. But on election day, it was almost a tie between Nixon and Kennedy. The popular vote was almost dead even between the two. So what does that suggest? It means the debate gave Kennedy a bump. And then in the weeks after that debate, it sort of faded from memory. Other issues evolve. The campaign is about more than a debate, right? There are ads. There are there's news coverage. There's statements. There's traveling around the country. All the things that go into a campaign and the effects of that debate eventually wore off. To We ended up back where we started before the debate. So this this notion that Kennedy won in 1960 because of the debate, just it's not backed up by the polling data in 1960. Uh, so that's that's you know, that would be one example of many. Um, you can look at 2012 if you want to look at something recent. The first debate between Barack Obama and Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney, based on, again, polling data, won that debate more decisively than any candidate in the history of debates uh, where there's where there's polling data. So, you know, more than three quarters of Americans who watched the debates said that Romney won the first debate. Obama went into that debate with a lead. Romney came out of it the clear winner. And then the race was effectively tied. So Romney did move the poll numbers. But what happened by the time we rolled around to Election Day, all of that Romney momentum had slowly dissipated and Obama ended up pretty much, you know, on Election Day back where he started before the debate. Now, some people will say the second and third debates were much better for Obama, and that may have eroded the Romney momentum after the first debate. So that could be part of it. But the point is, it was just like 1960. The winner got this little bump. But then by the time we roll around to Election Day, we sort of end up back where we started. So whatever whatever bump there is, uh, and a lot of times there are these famous moments and there aren't even these bumps. 1988, George Bush, Michael Dukakis. Michael Dukakis answers a question from Bernard Shaw. And everybody says Dukakis's answer was, you know, had no emotion. It was a game changing event. But again, looking at the polling data, very little movement um, after that debate moment. So again, I could keep going with example after example. The point is, it rarely, rarely changes somebody's vote, a debate, um, and it's rarely the game changer. So you might say, then, why should we bother watching? Do they, you know, why, who cares? Why should we even bother with this? I, I, I don't take what I'm saying to mean that debates are unimportant. They're just not going to change the election. So what do they do? They can do some things that are important in a democracy. One of the things that the research shows is that voters who watch the debates actually learn about issues and about candidates. So there's an educative role for debates. There's information acquisition. So voters watch and they learn more about the issues in the campaign, the candidates' position, the candidates' uh, issue positions. Uh, so those are things that are certainly valuable and sort of tie back to that quote that you started with, right? The, the electorate learns from the debates. So that can be a good thing. Does it change their mind? No. Uh, usually what voters, again, are, are you know, they it sort of reinforces their pre-existing views. 
but it can get them to learn a little bit more about the issues and about the candidates. So that that's a good thing in a democracy. Um, so that's true uh, about debates. Another thing that's important is that people become more interested in the election if they sit and watch the debate. Um, so it can enhance and increase public interest in the debate. And research shows that when the public is more interested, what do they do? They're more likely to vote. And I think any reasonable measure of a healthy democracy is that we have people out there participating in voting come election day. And if debates can help get people more interested in the presidential election, that's a good thing uh, because it can get more people to the polls um, by extension. And so those are those are some of the positives to take away from from the debates. But again, if we're sort of looking at it and thinking, well, the presidential debate's going to change everything, you know, don't hold your breath. It usually doesn't happen that way. But again, debates debates are important in a democracy for the reasons I mentioned. So going off on your point 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 earlier about political engagement, obviously there are responsibilities that each person has to have if they're going to end up at the polls this election season. Beyond the debate, what are those responsibilities of the voter if the debate kind of just reaffirms their already political sides or affirmations and their beliefs? I mean, there are. I don't. I don't. I'm uncomfortable sort of dictating to uh, voters what their responsibilities are. I mean, it can be literally as simple as a retrospective evaluation of the incumbent party. Uh, the incumbent party would be the party in power, right? So right now, the Republicans control the White House. So if you're voting for president, it can be as simple as: Do you think? Donald Trump has done a good job and the Republican Party as a whole has done a good job or or not. And if you don't, you vote for the you vote for Joe Biden or some some other candidate, maybe a minor party candidate. Um, if you think Trump has done a good job, then you, you vote to keep the incumbent in. You, you vote to reelect him. Uh, so it can be literally um, as simple as um, that basic a calculation. You don't we don't need to have, you know, 300 million, um, you know, Aristotle's uh, running around trying to know every little detail about every political issue. I'm not saying that I'm not discouraging that if people have the free time and they want to do that, by all means, the more you know, the better. Um, I'm, a, I, of course, a professor and teach political science. So um, education, particularly about politics and government, is something I take very seriously. But when it comes to a voting decision, really, it can just be as simple um, as does the incumbent party deserve four more years in the White House or um, is it time to throw them out? And um, if, if you can make that decision, then, um, then democracy is still well served. Right, definitely. So, you know, shaping up for this year, like Victoria said earlier, the first presidential debate will be Tuesday, September 29th. Um, Chris Wallace, he's a Fox um, News anchor. He's going to be the moderator for that first debate. And, you know, if we look back, you know, thinking back on the last presidential debate back in 2016 with Trump and Clinton, that set the record, actually, for the most watched debate in American history. It had 84 million viewers. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, this debate season's going to be, I don't know if ugly is the right word, just as ugly as, as 2016 um, with Biden and Trump. So, you know, how do you think this, this debate season's going to turn out? Do you think it's going to be kind of as 
you know, dragging people through the mud. I mean, that, you know, politics is always kind of, you know, people hit below the belt. You you try to be ruthless and, and you know, but do you think this is going to be kind of as bad, I guess, is the right wording as 2016 or even as as viewed as 2016? I think politics since uh, the, the very beginning of the republic ha- has always been um, ugly. You can go back yeah. to literally the election of 1800 and and read about some of the things that supporters of John Adams said about Thomas Jefferson and what some of Thomas Jefferson's supporters mm-hmm. said about John Adams. Um, and even by today's standards, some of it is pretty shocking. So you can literally go back all the way to you know the election of 1800 and find evidence of below the belt politics. So it's just, it's a part of the, of the fabric of, you know, a system that, that has, um, you know, contested seriously competitive and contested elections. And, um, um, and that's sort of a hallmark of a democracy. So we, we, we have those things uh, all throughout our history. Uh, So I I would just preface by saying that, that 2020 will be, certainly there's going to be some shots that are taken um, mm-hmm. by the Biden campaign against the Trump campaign and the Trump campaign against the Biden campaign. But that's that's what we would expect, because that's uh, that's been happening again from just about every presidential election in our history. So that's that's a normal thing. Of course, in the context of the debates, you had mentioned that there were 84 million uh, viewers uh, for uh, one of the Trump Clinton debates. And, and that was a record. And I think that speaks to um the the nature of Donald Trump as this um, lightning rod of a candidate, um, and now mm-hmm. of course um, the president. Uh, the he was a candidate in sixteen, of course now the incumbent president um, in twenty twenty. But but people on you know Trump supporters uh, get very very um, excited about Trump. The Trump haters get you know very very agitated uh, mm-hmm. by Donald Trump. But th- there's this effect of you know people want to watch. And so I would be, uh, you know, I I would expect that in 2020, we're going to see, you know, viewership that's probably in the same cat, you know, in, you know, in that 80 million plus, if not higher um, numbers that we saw in 2016. Um, So there could be new records that are shattered again um, in 2020 um, because, you know, Donald Trump remains this lightning rod of uh, uh, either, you know, passionate support or, this really, you know, uh, passionate opposition on the other side. And that hasn't changed in four years. If anything, it seems to have grown more intense during his uh, during his first term in office. So, um, you know, it will be, you know, I would expect, again, that the Biden Trump debates to, to draw, you know, 80 plus million viewers once again, if not more. Sure. And so, you know, talking about Again, people, you know, throwing hatred at each other and and it gets argumentative and it gets personal in these debates. Um, Do you think that, you know, negates the constructiveness of these debates? Okay. No. Explain to me why. Yeah. Yeah. I I think one of the things that they do that's important is you get to see in a debate, unlike other forms of political information, you get to see in a debate how two candidates – answer the same question side by side, how they think on their feet. 
That's a really unique way to get your political information. Uh, the other avenues that we get information is it's, you know, we, we see a TV ad. Well, that's scripted, right? We may right. read an article in a newspaper. Well, that's, you know, that's been, um, you know, that's, you sit down and you read something. It's not the same. Um, you, you're going to get, even in an article, you're going to get quotes from the campaign. Those quotes of, uh, you know, are, are, you know, you're talking about people with whose, whose job it is to be in the field of, you know, know how to communicate um, with the press. So it's going to be very carefully crafted statements to the press. But in a debate, it's happening right there in real time, candidates side by side. And that's a unique way, again, to, to get that political information. And that's important because on, on some level, I think voters are curious to see how their vote, how, how the candidates think on their feet. And you have two older candidates. So I think this may be an issue more than ever. Um, you know, Joe Biden is 77 years old and Donald Trump is 74 years old. So you have, right. you know, by historical standards, these are, uh, you know, two of the oldest uh, candidates that have ever been up on that stage. You know, it, it, with two candidates who are up in age, you know, the ability to watch how they think on their feet may be important to, to some voters. So I know that debates draw viewers, but do they draw voters to the polls? They can. If 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 the debate uh, generates political interest, political interest translates usually into higher turnout. Um, so at least the in theory, if the debate does something to generate more interest in the election, that can in turn translate into higher turnout. But if you're looking for any sort of major numbers, um, I mean, any any sort of gains that we could potentially attribute to a debate, and that would be hard to do to sort of isolate the cause and effect between, well, was it the debate? Because, you know, turnout could go up and there could be a hundred other explanations for why an election had higher turnout than just a, a moment in the debate. So it's really hard to sort of isolate a debate moment. But even if we could, you know, the impact would be only at the margins um, for for generating turnout. So um, you'll get some enhanced interest in, a, in, in a, at least a few cases that enhanced interest might you know, spur somebody to, to go out and vote who otherwise wouldn't, but um, it wouldn't be anything dramatic. Right. So from, you know, your research and your expertise, would I be, you know, correct in saying that somebody who watches a debate, you know, they're not, that that debate's not changing that person's political affiliation. Nobody's watching a debate and, and come having a eureka moment of, oh my gosh, you know, I, I vote a Republican, I think I, I'm Democrat now kind of thing. Um it's really kind of more of reinforcing those previous ideas um, and kind That's of. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So it's almost like a sporting event, a debate. So you, okay. you tune, people often tune in, in a sense, to almost cheer on their candidate. So, you know, Republicans are watching not because they are sitting there thinking, gee, I don't know who I'm voting for. Or maybe I'll maybe if Joe Biden says something, I'll vote. For, for Joe Biden instead of Donald Trump or Democrats who are sitting and thinking, you know, if Donald Trump does well tonight in this debate, I might vote for Donald Trump. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, Democrats are tuning in to cheer Joe Biden and to, you know, and to jeer Donald Trump. And Republicans are doing this, you know, the same thing. But in reverse, they're going to be cheering their guy, Trump, and and, you know, uh, and booing uh, Joe Biden during the during the debate. And what's interesting is that those 
the, the, we watch the debates, people will watch the debates and see the winners and losers through that partisan lens. Mm -hmm. So if you look at uh, some of the data on who voters thought won between Clinton and Trump four years ago, you know, Republicans overwhelmingly thought Trump won the debates and right. Democrats overwhelmingly thought Clinton won the debates. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to change. No, I mean, unless something completely out of the ordinary happens between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, we're going to get the same numbers. Republicans are going to say Trump won the debate and Democrats are going to say that Biden won the debate. Um, and again, there are occasionally some exceptions to that rule, but that's a generally speaking uh, that's that's that tends to be how it is. So it's almost again like, you know, I'm a New York Giants fan. I love pro football. Mm -hmm. So when I turned on uh, Monday Night Football the other night to watch the Giants play the Steelers, you know, right, right. I'm watching the Giants and cheering them on. And, and it's sort of no different with a presidential debate. If you're a Biden supporter, you're going to be tuned in and you're going to be cheering for him. And if you're a Republican, you'll be cheering for Trump. Now, you might say, what about the independents? Mm -hmm. Well, the independents is not it's not as big a group as people think. Um, so I want to sort of get this out there because uh, this is a, a common point where people sometimes get it wrong. They'll say, well, you know, independents are a third of the electorate. Uh, well, yes and no. They're a third of the electorate if you um, ask people, are you Democrat, Republican or independent slash, you know, something else? Then it's about a third. But political scientists ask a follow up question to those independents, something else, you know, voters. And they'll say, well, wh which party, though, if you had to pick, do you lean? And, you know, do you lean Democrat, do you lean Republican, or do you not lean towards either one at all? Well, if you say that you lean Democrat, those independent leaners are who lean Democrat are behave, vote, and act identically to the people who just say they're a Democrat. Mm -hmm. And the same is true for those independent leaning Republicans. They are just as conservative, right? They vote, uh, they vote a Republican line, just like the people who say I'm a Republican. Right. So those independent leaners really are not independents, right? Um, if they lean towards one, they're really partisans. So what you're left then is the independents who say they don't lean at all towards one party or the other. That's about 10% of the electorate. So one out of 10 people. So in a debate, right, you're not going to change any minds for right. the people who are uh, identifying as Democrats or Republican, and you're not going to change the mind of those independent leaners. So you're really down to that independent who doesn't lean one way or the other. So that's 10 percent. But if you look at some of the polls right now that are out, there's only about three to four percent of voters who are saying that they're still undecided. Of course, most of those are going to be those independent, those pure independents that I just mentioned, the pure independents who don't lean one way or the other. But it's not even 10 percent right now. If you look at the polls, the people who say they remain undecided, you're talking about three to four percent. So that's not a lot of there's just not a lot of people out there um, that are are going to be open to changing their mind. And then you got to figure how many of that three to four percent who currently say they're undecided, who are, again, probably those pure independents. How many of them are even going to watch the debate? Right. So there's going to be at least some of them. They're undecided because they don't follow politics. <laughs> That's one of the reasons they're not paying attention. They're not They're You know, there may be a voter. Again, there may be a few who are politically knowledgeable and follow it who just can't make up their mind. But that's that's very few of those. Um, it's going to be more likely that those remaining undecideds are just people who don't follow politics that closely. Well, if you're not following politics that closely, there's a good chance 
that on the night of the debates, you might be watching something else on TV. Right. Uh, because like we said, you're, you know, you, you go into this, not all that interested to begin with. So you could be persuadable um, in that small sliver of voters that I just identified. But if you're not watching the debates, then you can't be persuaded by the debate, can you? So yeah. <laughs> all of that, all of that suggests, again, back to my original point um, that debates usually are not the big game changers that that um, they're often made out to be. Mm. Gotcha. Well, that's some really great information. I, I love that comparison you made about how it's, you know, almost like watching a sports game. Like you said, you know, you're not going in as a Giants fan and then you're watching, you know, Big Ben on the on the Steelers and going, oh, you know, he threw some really great, really great passes tonight. I think I'm going to uh, go on over to the other side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly the way to put it, right? You know, right. You know, nobody watches a sporting event cheering for their team and the minute their team starts to do poorly, you know, you never see them say, okay, well now I'm, you know, I'm not a Giants fan anymore. Now I'm a Steelers fan because they won the game. It just doesn't work that way. So I have a question that might be fun for a political science professor, but maybe not for the average listener or voter, but do you have a favorite presidential debate? And if so, which one and why? A favorite presidential debate Yes. Uh, actually, can I, I would, um, I, I'm going to go with a vice presidential debate if that's Ooh, okay. Okay. Yes, it is. Yeah. I, I think that the 1992 Al Gore, Dan Quayle debate was, uh, was really entertaining. Uh, both guys were sharp. They were on their feet. Quayle had this reputation for not being a very smart guy, but I think he actually showed up that night, um, and, and handled himself well, uh, and thought he did you know, thought he did really thought he did a very good job. I thought the 2000 vice presidential debate between Dick Cheney and Joe Lieberman was another great example of two vice presidential candidates who were both on their A games. So if you go back and you watch the tapes of those two vice presidential debates, the, the Gore Quayle one had a lot of fireworks, um, and, and both guys I think were well prepared and did and handled themselves well. And and Cheney and Lieberman were both on their A games in that in that 2000 debate. Uh, so both both of those vice presidential debates, I thought, um, really lived up to their billing um, in terms of being informative and, um, you know, and I thought, you know, particularly combative, but in a in a respectful way. It was just high minded. You know, these were these were people who were well prepared, knew their information, got it out there in a way that I thought was at times uh, uh you know, combative, but respectful. And at other times, even humorous, you know, a, a debate usually should have at least a few lines in there that make you laugh um, when you watch them. So uh, those those two sort of stand out um, to me as a viewer that I remember um, as as sort of living up to what I think the ideal should be for a debate. That's awesome. That's really cool. And it's so interesting that you, you, you know, you said you chose a vice president debates as well. That's so interesting because I feel like a lot of people, you know, obviously, I think this one, this one for this upcoming year with um, with Pence and Harris is going to be super interesting. I think a lot of people are going to be tuning into that. But, you know, normally do a lot of people tune in as much to the vice presidential debates as as much as, you know, they would obviously the presidential debate? No, it won't. It, the vice presidential debates never generate the same uh, ratings, right? Yeah. The, so there'll be fewer voters that tune in, but they still get they'll still get tens, tens and tens of millions of Americans to tune in. Um, so the ratings will still be very high. And I, I would suspect that given the age of Joe Biden, you know, his selection of Kamala Harris is one that 
I think takes on added significance, you know, yeah. with a 77 year old nominee, um, you know, there's a very, you know, there's certainly, you know, when you get up in age like that, the, the running mate becomes, um, uh, takes on added significance. I think there's no, really no other way to put it. And mm-hmm. so Harris was introduced to the public because she was a candidate for president um, and, and debated in, in some of the early Democratic presidential debates uh, earlier in the year. And if you go back to um, 2019, when some of the first debates got started. Mm-hmm. So Harris has been introduced already to, to some extent to the country at large. So it's not going to be for at least a lot of voters the first time they've seen her. Um, but for others, it will be. And I think Harris uh, certainly needs to, you know, um, needs to do well against Mike Pence, uh, you know, given, you know, given the concerns that some people may have about Joe Biden's age. So in that sense, the vice presidential debate in 2020 could be one that that draws some some added viewership. Definitely. Well, I think we're going to wrap up this segment of our podcast. We really appreciate you joining us. You've given us some really great um, information and some really great uh, talking points that I think will, you know, really be interesting for our viewers. So we really appreciate you joining us for this. Sure. I, I would I would I would note that I've, I I dated myself a little bit by picking debates in 1992 <laughs> and in 2000. I know for a lot of my students, uh, you know, they they weren't even close to being born yet. So. Right. <laughs> and for these two journalists. Yes, I was just going to say that. So I, uh, so I said that I realized for some for some people listening, and again to even to the two of you, uh, yeah. it's. Uh, you know, I, I kind of gave away my age a little bit. That's awesome. All right. Well, this wraps up this What the Politics podcast for today. And remember, guys, the first presidential debate is happening tonight. You can watch that at WNCT.com. We will be live tweeting during this debate as well. So join us for that. We can uh, engage a little bit, chit chat back and forth with some of you guys about this. Um, so enjoy the rest of your night. And thank you for joining us for What the Politics.